0: a new series. We, we've been doing this series on Mosaic and I hope you got blessed through that as we looked at the five women in the genealogy of Jesus. And we were going to roll straight into a Christmas series, which we're excited about and we're still going to do. But we, I just felt as we've been praying as a leadership team, as a group, praying into what God is saying to his church. And we really felt strongly that it was time for a different word from what we had planned. So we're going to spend just a couple of weeks Looking at this idea of the pearl of great price, looking at the pearl, um, and a lot of it really flows out of just this heart for discipleship. We've been talking about discipleship and talking about how how do we make disciples? You know, like at the end of the day, what we're on about is discipleship. At the end of the day, what we long to see is that people are passionately following Jesus, and all of this is just rubbish. If all it is is a performance, if all it is is a show, if all it is is just gathering as a social club and doing stuff and having people know who heals are, all of that is just rubbish. It's like, if that's what this is, then I'm out. I don't want any of that. What I want is Jesus. And what I long to see is a, a passionate group of people following Jesus. That the world would look at us and not say, oh, gee, you've got great music or great preaching or great community. They would say there's something about you that just shines the love of Christ. Your people love Jesus. They pray. They read his word. They're hungry for a move of the kingdom. That's what we're on about. And so we started looking at this and it just felt like God was saying, do you know what? You can put your programs in place and all of those things are useful and they're good. Like you can build a trellis to support the work of the vine and we need to do that. All of that is healthy. But at the end of the day, only God can grow the vine. And at the end of the day, the only way that transformation happens is by examining the one who brings that transformation. So we thought, you know what? Let's just examine the pearl for a while. Let's just look at Christ. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm excited about it. Um, So if you've got your Bibles, we're sitting in Matthew 13, as I read before. Uh, There's another beautiful verse which I want to read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 1. And in verse 15, it says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience, as an example for those who would believe in Him, and receive eternal life. Where are we up to? First Timothy. <laughs> so now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. When I was a kid, I don't know if you guys remember back in the day when shopping centres had bulk food. Do you remember bulk? Where you used to walk along and they had this whole aisle of the plastic tubs with a stack of, you know, like, your apricot delights and your chocolate almonds and your nuts and that stuff. Remember that? Now you have to buy packets. Maybe some shops have them, not the shops I go to. And so you used to go along, you'd get your metal scoop and you dig it in there and you'd fill up your bag and then you'd put the bag over the trolley and you'd nibble as you were walking. <laughs> not supposed to do that, but that's what I do. <laughs> but um, I remember being a kid, right, and mum used to have this saying, she used to say, like, she'd tell us we weren't allowed to eat out of the tub, because like, you had to buy that But then she said, but if it's on the ground, it's fair game. <laughs> so, I have vivid Mary Phil, you'd remember this too. We would get on our hands and knees, and even our bellies, if need be. And we would be lying on that disgusting supermarket floor that if you ever walk barefooted and you end up with black, black feet, we'd be lying in our clothes, reaching under the tubs, just logging for a, a chocolate almond. <laughs> doing anything we could to find something. And when you'd find it, you'd grab it and you'd go, yes! And you'd dust that baby off and shove it in the gob and then you'd go again. <laughs> And I've been thinking about, that's what we used to do for a chocolate almond. I was like, we'd get on our knees, we'd search, we'd long for it, and I thought, I wonder if we see Jesus that way. I wonder if we're prepared to get on our knees and get a little bit dirty to see a mighty move of God in our generation. We'll get on our knees for something little and delicious, We're prepared to get dirty. We're prepared to suffer shame on account of others looking at us. But are we prepared to do that for Jesus? And the question that's been haunting me really over the last two months is this. Is is he worth it? Is he worth it? And I think it's a question that actually haunts Western Christianity as a whole. Because we live in this culture that values comfort over commitment. We live in a culture at the moment that is telling us, relax. Don't be too intense. Just chill out. This is our culture. This is the cultural norm, right? That's the culture we're living in. And yet Christianity is an interesting paradox to that. It's an interesting call because when Jesus first called his disciples, what did he say? He didn't say, hey, if you're interested, just come and chill out for a while. He said, come, follow me. But what does our culture turn following into? Our culture has convinced us that following is a click on a screen. It is a distant, disengaged, aloof following. Following. Where I might, I'll, I'll, I'll look at your pictures. I might even like a video from time to time. I might even subscribe. I'm following, but there's no relationship. There's no investment. I might even share occasionally the stuff that you've done. You know, I might put a, like I might put a, a poster on my wall. I, I'm that big of a follower. But that's not following. What that is is fandom. We've confused following with fandom, right? See, what we're saying is Jesus' call to following is not a call to being a fan. His call is to genuine following. Following in that first century meant leave whatever you're doing and give up your life so that you are in pursuit of me, so that the dust From my feet as I walk, will flick up and land on your feet. So that you are deeply engaged, deeply invested, that there is this powerful depth of relationship. And we live in this world that's saying, no, 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 keep a distance. Do you know what? I think what we should uh, really, this generation is a yes, unless generation. Hmm. We have this interested button. You know what I'm talking about? What's with that? Going, can't come, interested. We should change that button to say yes, unless. Everyone say yes, unless. Yes, unless. That's what it is. That's what it means. It means, yeah, unless something better comes up. Yeah, unless, like, I'm not feeling so well. Or, yeah, unless the weather's bad. Yeah, unless my kids are just being annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Like unless someone else comes, you know what I mean? Like we've got this yes unless culture about us now. And the, the the interesting thing is is that yes unless culture is actually creeping into the church. It's actually creeping into the body of Christ. We're like, you know, we're like, yeah, Jesus, man, I love you. I am a fan. I think you're fantastic. You know, when you said that thing to that person that time, oh man, like right here in the tingles, Jesus. That was cool. And when you did that thing for that blind go, wow, so good. So, so good. You know, I, like I really do like you, Jesus. In fact, you know, I even share your stuff online so that others would know how great I think that you are. But I don't know if I, like, I've got stuff going on. You don't have kids. You never had kids, Jesus. You don't understand how difficult that can be. Uh, It's cold today, Lord, and I'm, I'm not sure that I can commit to that because my friend Janelle and Janine and Jeremy and Janice, they're all coming over and we've got this barbecue planned and I don't know if I've got time to pray this morning because I've got to prepare. Are you hearing me? We have this entire generation... That's a yes, unless generation. And Jesus, in the midst of this, is saying, I've not called you to be a fan. I've called you to be a follower. What will the church do about it? Because the cultural norm is to let's just be fans of Jesus. Let's chill out. Let's enjoy him. Let's share his stuff. Let's have some songs. Let's occasionally come to church, maybe once a month, just to keep connected. Let's read the word every now and then. Maybe occasionally I might join a prayer meeting. But that's fandom. The call of Christ is is call to following. And paradoxically, the most fascinating thing about it is that as we commit and as we offer ourselves up and as we step into sacrifice, it's actually where we find genuine meaning in life. Like, ask our culture right now with this Western secular worldview of just do whatever I want to do whenever I do it, Ask our culture how they're traveling. How are they really going? Are they happy? In a world right now where anxiety, depression, Loneliness; these things are higher than they have ever been in our culture. When all of a sudden this idea that this is what is going to make me happy is actually leading to people not being happy, could it be that the way of Christ, this sacrificial way, this way that says don't pursue comfort, honour commitment, and genuinely follow, genuinely give of yourself, maybe, just maybe, that is where fulfilment is found. Could that be? Could it be that the countercultural message of Christ is actually the hope of the world? I'm preaching better than you're saying amen right now. I think it is. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. And the Lord has challenged me so much on this in the last couple of months. He's saying, if you're prepared to get on your hands and knees for a chocolate almond, will you get on your hands and knees for me and a move of God in this generation? Because we can build our trellis. We can... Create a fantastic Growth Track Connect program. We can run a great Sunday service. We can have an amazing kids program. We can put on a cracking youth drink. We can put on an awesome barbecue. But at the end of the day, transformation will only come when God's people humble themselves and pray and seek first his kingdom and its righteousness, knowing that it's in that seeking, in that humbling, in that chasing after him, that all these things shall be added unto us. That is the call of Christ. And I was like, God, let me show him. Like, firstly, show me. Open my own eyes. Like I'm just as much there with everyone else. There are days when I come home and I'm like, I sense God saying it's time just to give me a moment. Just give me half an hour of your 168 hours in your week just to pray and sit with me and be in solitude. And I'm like, yeah, but alias is on Netflix. <laughs> And I'm really interested to see what she's going to do about the covenant and all that stuff. But honestly, honestly, and I've said this to myself: I please hear my heart. I am with. I am with you. We are all human, as we read in that verse. Like I am a sinner, the worst of sinners. I am with you in this. But God, give me a revelation of who you are, so that I will just. Give of that small portion of my day to genuinely follow. That in the following, we might see revival. I just felt like the Lord was saying, you know what? It's time as a church to to just look at Jesus for a moment. Because there's nothing we can do. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing anyone in this room can do that can create that in us. It's only God. It's only a move of God. It's only the Spirit who can awaken and birth faith in our hearts. And I believe that as we look upon him, that is what, exactly what he is going to do. So we just, i felt like we're going to look at this pearl for a while. We're going to just spend a couple of weeks and examine the pearl. And we're barely going to even scratch the surface of this beautiful, incredible, glorious pearl of great price. But just maybe in my prayer, my deep prayer is that as we do it, that someone will catch a revelation of the glory of God and someone will be moved to tomorrow and the next day and the next day, just give 15 minutes to follow him. Half an hour to reading the word, to praying. And when you're praying and then the enemy comes and whispers and says, why would you pray? Look, there's a cat licking ice cream. It's hilarious. <laughs> you should do that. <laughs> then we would say, no, no, no. I have an opportunity right now to meet with the king of the universe, the God of all eternity, who has called me unto himself and longs to have a conversation. I said to Tim Barnett the other day, I said, it's fascinating because if Michael Jordan, one of my heroes, walked into a room and said, Dave, I want to have lunch with you, do you know what I'd do? I'd just drop everything. I'm there we like, Mark, I'm cancelling that meeting. I've got a lunch to go to. And yet God comes to me every moment of every day saying, hey, Dave, come away with me for a moment. And how often do I do it? My prayer is that that would become our genuine heart's desire and delight as we examine the pearl. Are you with me? Yeah. Yes. So, with that said, the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great, isn't it? All right, Colossians. Let's go to Colossians. Because the heart of this question, like, the heart of the question is, is Jesus worth it? Really, the question I'm asking is, is he more valuable? What's more valuable, the king or comfort? What's more valuable, the king or comfort? And I want to suggest to us that the king is more valuable. He's worthy of our time. And the reason he's worthy of our time today, what we're going to examine is this idea of rescue. Someone say rescue. Rescue. From Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Speaking of Jesus. For he has rescued us. Everyone say rescue. rescue. From the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. you know the bloke who wrote this gave up a fabulous career in religious and political leadership and offered his life as a sacrifice so that the Gentiles could know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder what Paul and Andrew and, you know, John and James and Nathaniel and Phil, all these guys would say about the church today. Would they tell us he's worth it? You better believe that. Tell us he's worth it. <laughs> he's worth it. At yeah, the beginning of this year, um, I haven't really, I haven't shared this story too much with people. Beginning of this year, in January, I was actually in a boating accident. I was with my brother-in-law, and I had my two boys, Bailey and Benji, and we had this old boat which we just sold. It's a shocking boat, but. You might remember, you this year that, there was like this beautiful 40 degree day, super calm, super, like, it was awesome, and everyone was there, it was like, we're at Warina, down south, and it was the one day where, it was like Woolworths at Christmas, right, there were people everywhere, cars everywhere, Boats everywhere, and we were going to go fishing. Dan and I thought, we'll take the two boys and we're going to go fishing, we're going to catch some squid, we're going to have a great time. So there's laughter and there's joy and there's all this excitement. So we back the boat down, it's lining up next to the pontoon. And because it was so busy, this other boy backs his boat down, so it's two at a time. And uh, Dan jumps in. I put the life jackets on the boys. We had the canopy up on the, on the top of the boat. And I said to Dan, should we just spin it around so we can just drive forwards? He goes, Oh no, 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 she'll be right. right. We'll just whack it in reverse. I went, yeah, yeah, no worries. And so we're sitting in the boat and Dan goes to hit reverse and the engine just goes Whoa! like it's going to blow up. And so Dan hits it back into neutral, but instead of going to neutral, the boat just takes off and just flies straight up the back of this really nice boat in front of us and there's the pontoon. So Dan, trying to avoid that boat, turns right and he goes up part of this boat and then this part of the boat hits the pontoon and the whole boat just goes and does a full backflip and lands in the water with the canopy on. And so as we're flipping, you know when a thousand things go through your head at once and your whole life passes through your eyes? In that moment, I'm there, and so Bailey was next to me, Benji was next to me, and I grabbed him, and I tried to jump through this little window in the canopy to leap out, so I thought, if I can just get out of here, then we'll be okay. But as I jumped, the boat landed, and I was stuck in between the canopy and the boat, underwater, holding Bailey, thinking, oh, no. And I had this moment where I thought, I have to let go of him if I'm, like... If I'm any chance here, I've got to let go of him. Lucky these things are flimsy. So I let go of Bailey. I started thrashing around. The canopy kind of snapped. I got out. I came up for air. When I popped up for air, my brother-in-law was up and my boys were nowhere to be seen. And in that moment, you would like to think as a father, you would be cool, calm and collected. But I was none of those things. And I just started yelling. I was like, where's my boys? Completely lost the plot. And people started running, and in that moment, my brother-in-law says he just had a Holy Spirit moment. He said, he just it was like everything went calm, everything went still. He dove down under the water, he opened his eyes, he could see the life jacket. He reached in and he grabbed one, yanked him out. That was Benji, up he popped. Then he, he like, grabbed the other one, up came Bailey, coughing and spluttering, and then he hopped up on the pontoon and he burst into tears. And I remember just this guy ran up and they yanked the boys like before you knew it. There was people everywhere. They yanked the boys out. This guy's hugging my boys. He's like, "You little legends!" (laughs) And then he's hugging me. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember sitting there in that moment after reflecting with Dan. I just, as we were talking about it, I was like, "Man, I'm so thankful for you because." There is no way that those boys could save themselves. They were trapped underwater, in the dark, nowhere to go. And the only possible way that they could have life was if someone crashed the waters, dove into their situation and yanked them to freedom. That is what Jesus has done for us. The scripture tells us in Ephesians 2 that we were by nature objects of wrath, that we were lost, that we are people in desperate need of rescue, that we are engulfed and surrounded and encased by waters of brokenness and decay. That is our state and someone has to crash the waters and rip us into safety. Humanity needs rescuing. And the great story of the gospel, the great story of the scriptures is that God is our rescuer. Why are we in that position? If you go to Genesis 1 and you see the whole fruit debacle with Eve, we see that in Genesis 2 when God creates humanity and breathes into them the breath of life, and we see then they came to life That humanity had in them, in the fabric of their DNA, this eternal spirit of life. But yet when we believed the lie over the truth of God and we bought into that lie and we accepted that as truth, we actually became, we took a seed of death. The seed of death was implanted. The promise of God was if you eat the fruit, you will what? You will surely die. And so what he's saying is that that sea, that eternal spirit, the thing inside of you, that there is now death in your veins. It is now a part of humanity. You cannot live forever. That is now your state. You are now under the waters of brokenness and decay forever. That's our state. And then you read the next 13 chapters and basically the, the the, the scriptures just unpack what that looks like. And we see humanity just falling into the, into the fruit of that seed of death and decay and destruction and depravity and all these things. And then you get to Genesis 15. Praise God for Genesis 15. Why don't we go there together? Because in Genesis 15, God does something very odd but very amazing. He comes to this bloke called Abraham, who we know to become Abraham. And he makes a covenant with him and he says this promise over him. And he says in verse four, when the, Lord, when the word of the Lord came to him, this, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood and will be your heir. And he took him out so and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he goes on and he starts to proclaim these beautiful promises of who he is and what he's going to do for Abraham. And verse 9, the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these to him, cut them into two and arranged the halves opposite side of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half, the birds of prey came down on the carcasses But Abraham drove him away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved in the street there. But I'll punish that nation. Verse 15. You, however, will go uh, to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And then he goes on. And then in verse 17, when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So that's a weird story. That is a weird story. What is happening? This is an ancient practice, right? When you were making a covenant with someone, not a contract, a covenant which is basically saying I'm promising you something and so what they'll do is they'll take animals and they'll split them in half and when they made that covenant they'll walk together through the pieces and they're saying to each other if one of us breaks this promise we will become like these animals, we will suffer death because the promise was broken so it's this beautiful promise of you know we say in in a marriage vow until death do us part This is a covenant. This is saying, this is what's going to happen. Now watch this. So God's making this promise to Abraham saying, I'll be your God if you worship me, if you follow me. I'll be your God and I'll bless you and I'll bless all the nations of the world, right? He's saying, I'll do it. And let's make a covenant together about this. You worship me as God and I'll be your God and I'll bless you. So he sets up the pieces and then what happens? Do they both walk through together as is the custom? No. Who goes through the pieces? God. What is he saying? He's saying, I am taking responsibility for this promise, for this covenant, in and of myself. He's saying, if you fail, which you will, because you're human, I will fulfill my promise by consuming death upon myself. Friends, if you can't see it yet, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the second person of the Trinity coming in flesh, being the God-man, to fulfill this covenant made in Genesis 15. This is what the Gospels are declaring, that he will fulfill his own promise and restore us and make us new to fix the problem of Genesis 2, to fix the problem of death, to fix the problem of depravity, to remove the seed of death and implant the seed of life again. And then you fast forward and you get to the Gospels and it's awesome, guys. It's so good because you get to the Gospels and Jesus is there and in Matthew chapter 3, you see an encounter with a leper, right? Now, usually what happens with a leper is if you touch someone who's unclean? If, you, if, if a clean person, if someone who's not infected, touches an infected person, what happened? What happened? What's the natural way of, hum, of humanity? The person who is uninfected gets what? They get infected. They get the disease. That's what happens in the brokenness of humanity. What does Jesus do to the leper? He touches him, and something ridiculous happens. What happens? The leper gets made clean. The leper gets made clean. What is in Jesus is imparted to the infected person, not the other way around. Death doesn't consume life, life consumes death. The gospel writers are trying to show you a deeper narrative to what is going on. It's not just a great story of healing, there's something deeper. Go a little bit further, go to the woman with the issue of blood. What does she do to Jesus? Again, normally if someone with an issue like that touches someone who's clean, the person who is clean becomes unclean. But what happens? She touches Jesus and she gets made clean. And Jesus doesn't. What is in Jesus gets imparted to her, not the other way around. It's awesome. Go again. Look at the, the, uh, the widow's son, the, the, the dead boy in Maine. He's dead. If you touch the corpse in that culture, what happened? You became unclean. You were the one who was infected by the seed of death. But what happens? Jesus touches the boy and the boy raises to life. is God. And he will bring life. He is the one who will rescue. He is the one who will crash the waters of human history so that he can reach into our story, rip us by the jacket and draw us into life eternally. And not just the future, present hope, but right now because he said that he will send the and he fills us with his spirit that we might have that seed of life in us and that we might go into the world and make disciples of all nations and see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, I'm preaching right now. He's our rescuer. And I wish I could make you see it. But I can't. Only God can. Only God can. And my prayer is that you see that pearl of great price. This is why he says the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl because for so many people, selling everything and buying that field seems so irrational and unreasonable and expensive. Why would I do that? Because there's a pearl of great price worth more than anything else you could ever imagine. And it starts out as a sacrifice and a cost. But I promise you, the more you have a revelation of the glory of that pearl, the more that cost becomes a joy, the more it becomes, oh, I can't wait to spend some time with my Lord. Gee, I can't wait to get to church and hang out with some other believers and encourage them in the faith. The cost becomes a joy because of the pearl of great price. I'm going to get the band up. I just want to finish with one more thing. If I had a point today, (laughs) it's not a three-point sermon, but if I had one, I guess the first point is that God is, Jesus is worth it because he's God. That's what the gospel writers are showing us. He's our rescuer. And if I had a second point, it would be this. Jesus is worth it because he said that you are worth it. Do you know in that moment that I'm like swimming by the side of the boat and my boys are under there and I'm carrying on like a pork chop, I would have given anything. Anything. I would have to take my car, take my house, take my life. If only someone would come and grab them and bring them out. Anything. Because they are worth it. And the beauty of the scriptures, the beauty of the gospel is that that is what God thinks of you. He sees you under the water and he says, I will give even my son so that you can be rescued and redeemed. And we have an entire world that's telling you that your worth is based on those number of people who say, yep, I'll be your fan. I'll be your follower. And God says, no, 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 no. I am committed to you. I'm committed to this gospel. I'm committed to this cause to redeem and rescue humanity because I love you because you're worth it, because you're mine, because you're mine. That's the pearl of great price. That's the gospel and how glorious it is, amen, how beautiful it is. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.